This is one of several interviews on innovation, business and sustainability for the students studying the MSc in, uh, MSc in Sustainable Resources at UCL. My name is David Bent and I'm an honorary lecturer at the UCL Institute for Sustainable Resources and co-lead for the module on eco-innovation and sustainable entrepreneurship. Most of the course gives people the latest academic theory and insight. These 30-minute interviews are with practitioners to give some of the grit under the fingernails of innovating for sustainability today. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by Alison Ward, who is the CEO of Cotton Connect. Hello, Alison. Hi, David. Great to be joining you today. Great to be joining you. Well, thank you very much. Um, so what is your role and organisation? Yes. Uh, so I'm really lucky to lead a social enterprise um, called Cotton Connect. And we work right at the beginning of the cotton supply chain with the farmers. Um, and then what's really important is, as our name suggests, we connect that cotton into global supply chains. And for me, it's it's such an opportunity to change how business operates and not just look at philanthropic efforts and you know, improving lives and livelihoods of farmers, but really changing how business sees that cotton supply chain. Mm-hmm. So, and it's probably worth explaining a bit for people uh, about how complex that cotton supply chain is and therefore what the need is for something like Cotton Connect. Yes, absolutely. So cotton can be traded up to 10 times um, once it leaves the farmer. So, and along that journey, there's a number of different actors. So you've got the farmer, it goes to something called the gin, and there's a cotton seed within the cotton ball, and the seed is taken out of the cotton ball, and you let, sort of end up with a sort of a, almost like a cotton wool. Um, and then that goes into spinning, and then that goes to weaving, and then it goes further up into dyeing and manufacture, the whole manufacturing process. So, but that sounds really simple. But in, within that, there are middlemen, and they normally are men, um, who trade in that cotton. And, you know, cotton sales between countries. It, you know, there's a lot of manufacturing in Bangladesh, for example, but Bangladesh is importing cotton mainly from lots of different countries. So you can see that it, it ends up being quite a complex supply chain. And I found as well, which is one of the reasons we're here, is that people don't really want to share with you their, the source of their um, materials because they want to protect their business. So we've really tried to get behind the cotton supply chain to see what's going on, who's selling to whom, where is it going, how much are they selling it for, has that person been fairly rewarded, what's going on in those transactions. So that's that's really our role in the supply chain. And there's this very complicated web from smallholder farmers in India, Pakistan, China in particular, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, and then through all of these different processes with these different middlemen into the, the manufacturing and then the big brands often who will be um, controlling the supply chain but rarely owning any part of it and then eventually it ends up in a shop or a website where it's bought by you and me. So it's, it's an extremely complicated thing and if you're a, a brand a Levi's a Nike and you want to do something about being able to make claims about that supply chain it's really difficult for you to see what's going on upstream beyond your first or second tier of suppliers yes yeah, so when I started 10 years ago in the cotton sector having worked in cocoa which was chocolate so that was an amazing 
product to work with, um, there really wasn't that transparency in the supply chain. And that's something I really set out to do. And I was fortunate enough to um, uh, meet the ethical trade controller at Primark, uh, Catherine Stewart. And we decided we would try and do what everyone said was impossible, which was to put that traceability in from farmer to garment. And until then, if you were a manufacturer of clothes, you would fill in an order sheet and, and give it to your tier one supplier. You would be specifying the T-shirt, the colour, you know, the weight of it. But you'd have no idea where that cotton was coming from. You, you probably didn't at that point even know which country the cotton mm. was coming from. So at this point, it was you know, how could you possibly do that? Everyone said it was too difficult. It's a no-paid supply chain. It's impossible. But I think Catherine and I are both, both quite determined people. We don't really like the word no <laughs> to begin with. So, um, And also one of our philosophies around innovation, and it's not my phrase, so it is something you'll have heard before, is think big, start small, mm. act now. And we started... Uh, back in 2013 with a really small pilot, so 1,251 female farmers, which is another story as well about working with women in cotton. Mm. So relatively a small group of farmers. That programme with Primark now reaches 300,000 farmers across Bangladesh, India and Pakistan. So 10 years on, we have a traceable supply chain from farmer to garment. And if you go in any Primark store, across Europe, um, and you look at their jeans, their T-shirts, socks, all of the cotton in those products, it's all labelled, comes from um, comes from our project. Mm. And we know the names of farmers. So we've gone from not knowing anything about the supply chain to actually saying, I've met a farmer. I know where that farmer's cotton is going. So for me, that's really, really powerful. And I think, you know, as... As your students, you look at your career and what you're going to do. One of the other lessons, I think, is it takes time. I mean, this mm. has been a 10-year journey to get here. So, you know, you set your ambitions, but they, it does take a bit of time to actually achieve yeah. it. <laughs> well, and I think um, it's worth saluting the role of Primark in that. A, a company which gets a lot of pushback for its fast fashion, but it's great that it's been part of creating this sort of social infrastructure mm. that can show where the cotton is coming from. I want to move on to your role. So you're chief executive. What does that mean? What do you get up to? <laughs> so ultimately, I'm accountable for what goes on in the business. So that gives me great opportunities. So and if we talk about innovation, there's the opportunity at Cotton Connect that our mission is to um, to reimagine the future for supply chain. So if you think about reimagine, that means innovation, doing things differently. But there's also the flip side of that, that I'm accountable to the 100 people that work for the organisation, for the smooth running of the organisation, for the financial success, uh, to our partners who uh, we employ to deliver our programmes, and, and of course, the farmers in our programme as well. So it's a really wide ranging role. Um, and it's not something I take lightly at all, because you, you have that, um, that accountability. But it's really, for me, that's um, sweet spot between a, a commercial role, but actually I'm really changing lives and really mm. delivering impact at a farm level. And if you like creating 
value from values in its essence. So I'm really fortunate to have, have such a great role. Wonderful. And then how is sustainability framed within Cost and Connect? I think every kind of sounds, everything we do is about sustainable cotton. Mm. And I and when we do an employee survey, I think 97% of people in the organisation work with us because of our sustainability framework. That said, I think it's about how you balance being a, a successful business. So in order for us to continue, we have to make sure that our books balance. Mm. We have to think about the future. So... What, what we did yesterday will be not what we do tomorrow. Um, the more we work, the more we're successful, then other people will rightly copy what we do. So this race to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for the team, sometimes it's quite hard that we have in our farm team, we have people who really are, really work there because of their passion about, you know, working with people, the social impact we're having. Um, but we've got to balance that with the commercial need of our customers as well. So it's always that balancing act between delivering our sustainable programmes, but also making sure that we are commercially relevant and commercially viable. Yeah. And just to unpack a little bit on the impacts you're hoping to have in the supply chain, do you have a higher priority to either environmental or social? Or how do how do you look at the issues which sit underneath sustainability there? Yeah, it's a really good question. What we've been really looking at recently is the um, ESG goals of companies. And we've done a review, I think it was about 20 brands, mm-hmm. looking at their ESG goals to ensure relevance. So the number one goal is around um, the uh, fashion brands, is around... The, the cotton is sustainable. Mm. Number two is around traceability and transparency. We then go into human rights, um, which mm. is obviously really coming up the agenda. So we we can see that there are some really key priorities coming out of brands. I think for us at the moment, as a sector, there's a huge focus on the environment, on greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, and there is you've probably seen the illustration that's out there about this carbon tunnel vision that we're just looking at this carbon lens. For me, I think the focus on the S in the ESG is so important. And particularly, we have a focus on women Mm -hmm. in the cotton supply chain. So quite often, it's the women that that do all the work. Mm -hmm. So they weed, they plant the seed, they weed again, they tend the crop, they water it, they harvest it. The men tend to then sell it, so they mm. get the cash. But if I ask quite often, if I'm talking, say, to one of my colleagues in Pakistan, those women aren't even called farmers mm. because they don't own the land. And I remember having quite a debate, but they are farmers because they're doing the work. They're doing the farming. But do, yeah. Um, so for me, that the role of women in, in agricultural supply chains, we know women are not recognised for their work. We know quite often they're not even trained in training programmes. Maybe the, the trainer's male, maybe the the time of day is wrong for them to attend. And we certainly don't see them being rewarded because it's, you know, it's normally the men that go to market or sell to the, the, the trader that comes to the village. Yes, and the very little that I've been exposed to this sector, there's huge amounts of... Um, uh, asymmetric power 
So between the brands and supply chains, and then along the supply chains with those middlemen, the farmers, the smallholder farmers at the end of that supply chain often have the least amount of information about what's going on and therefore are in the worst position to bargain for good prices, in the worst position to know how to increase their skills and invest in make, in producing their cotton in the most environmentally friendly kind of way. They just, in a way, stand or historically have sort of very little chance. And that's why it's so important that Cotton Connect can bring that insight and bring skills to bear for those smallholder farmers that they can increase their power uh, and um, increase their sort of competence in the sustainable end of farming. Yeah, absolutely. And part of our role is that knowledge sharing. So um, cotton um, is uh, is measured in a staple length. So that's mm. literally how long the thread of cotton is as it mm. comes out. So the longer the staple, <clears throat> the more money you get for it. Mm-hmm. So we actually teach farmers to learn how to test the, t- the staple length of their cotton. It's really simple. Mm. Um, so one of the things they can do before they sell it is work out what they think their staple length is. And then when the, 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 trade, the trader comes to buy it, they, they're in a better bargaining position. And obviously access to the price of cotton, access to um, better quality. So the more the cotton you get seeds and junk in the cotton, the yeah. more that it, it, it's picked better, the, the better you can get a, a price for it as well. So a lot about that knowledge transfer. And some of it's quite simple. It's not the complex yeah. message. It's just that getting it to the right people in, in that village. And just one last question about... Uh, the organisation before I ask for a story, which is just what? How how do you make your money? So who pays you for what for Cotton Connect? Yeah, so we're funded by brands. So our model is almost like a consultancy model. So they pay us for services, mm-hmm. and our services are around delivering agronomic training, around traceability, around um, uh, other investments in the supply chain, maybe supply chain engagement. And we, I've deliberately kept the model quite simple. So mm. it's low entry point as well. So brands can come in and work with 50 farmers if they want. Mm. You know, if you want to start something, I've, I've made it easy. Yeah. We don't have lots of layers of complexity. I've worked with, with other schemes where there's license fees, there's layerings of costs. We've tried to keep it as simple as possible so that it, we're about impact. So we're about making impact farmers and we're about making impact in that supply chain working more more effectively um so that's our our model wonderful thank you so let's move on to um innovation story can you tell us a story of a good example of um some innovation that you've been involved with or you did within your organization yes so at cotton connect we have a tool called trace so it's a traceability platform and earlier, David, you referenced sort of claims and the claims agenda that's happening now. Um, so we've got EU claims directive, we've got a competitive market authority in the UK giving guidance, there's the German Supply Chain Act coming out, has come out. Um, all of them are about valid, um, validating the claim you're making. And for me, and just your claim has to be based on traceability. And the you in this would be the shop or the brand that is selling the, the, brand. the yeah. brand. Sorry, yeah. yes, absolutely. So brands now, if they want to make a claim on a garment to say it's sustainable, they have to have 
some evidence mm. to show that they can make that claim. And for ours in cotton, that has to be around tracing that cotton back from the garment right to the beginning of the supply chain. And over the last 10 years, we've been uh, developing a, a traceability tool. So this is a tool that tracks the, the cotton from the, the village right and right through up to the garment. And again, it's a 10-year journey. When we started, how do you put how do you go into rural India and start to collect data at a farm level mm. when there's poor internet, there's can the people that are collecting the data train to collect data? Because, you know, rubbish in, rubbish out. If people aren't collecting it properly, then the data isn't really valid. So it's, I would say it took us three or four years to really have a robust platform. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in the gym. So this is where the second, the first stage of process cotton comes in and is separated out. And I was with Carful. Mm -hmm. And uh, my colleague at the time, Selwyn, got his laptop out and he, showed live the, the trace bell platform for them and for me it was a great moment we'd got a working um a working model that where we could take track that cotton for carpool right through mm. and i think the lessons for me is that you have to find partners that are prepared to go on the journey partners like carpool like primark that it's not going to be perfect you know, especially if we're tackling something that's really hard to do, which is a traceability system around a, a commodity in rural economies in India. Yeah. And they're prepared to say, OK, well, we know it's not perfect, but we'll go on this journey and we'll, we'll help you develop it. I think that's really important. The other thing I think I really found was about mindset change. So, you know, we've got all these people trading cotton. We've got lots of um, interested parties we really had to work closely with the ginners and the spinners for them to um, share their information, to accept that they were going to put data into the platform. And that's about mindset change. And I mean, we, we know about the change curve, don't we, in life, but this is a real change curve, you know, a lot of denial going yeah. on. I remember one of my first meetings with the uh, the T-shirt manufacturers in Bangladesh uh, for Primark, and I went in to talk about what we were doing. I was just, it was just folded arms in front of me yeah. at this meeting, and they were like, "We're not doing it." Uh, they were everyone was saying, "No, no, not doing it." And now people are calling us up saying they want to be part of the program. So this journey of taking people with you. So what? Why were they? So was it just they're resistant to any change or did they fear they were going to lose something specific? And what do they gain now that means they're willing to overcome that, that resistance? I think, I think everyone's worried about losing financially. So mm. if I tell you where I'm buying my cotton from, are you going to just cut me out? Mm. Or if you know the price I bought it at, are you going to negotiate harder on mm. prices? I don't have the flexibility if I'm, a, you know, if I'm uh, buying a bale of cotton as a spinner. Mm -hmm. If you're telling me you have to buy it from a certain a certain place, then I don't have that flexibility anymore as a yeah. as a um, as a spinner. So lots of commercial reasons not to do it. I think the advantage has been that now one of the pieces of work we do is we get all of the actors in the supply chain together. Mm -hmm. So we'll quite often have. Some, we call them supply chain meetings. So the brand is there, the ginners, the spinners, manufacturers, 
maybe a farmer representative, and they actually talk about the challenges and issues in that supply chain. So I think that access to for the middle of the supply chain to really meet the brand and really understand what the brand is doing and for the brand to hear from the, at that middle of that supply chain has been really powerful. And, you know, I remember doing it with Keering, actually, and um, it was the first time everybody had just sat around a table together. It wasn't the easiest conversation either. I mean, these are not, you know, these are commercial conversations. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, for the first time ever in that supply chain they had met is just that moment of, of dialogue that happens um within within a complex supply chain. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a couple of things I hear in that. One is a shift from um, a, a mindset of efficiency and a flexibility and arm's length transactions where you're trying to screw the other guy into the ground, frankly, is the sort of was the default previously. But if you can get in the room and trust each other, then you can have a supply chain which is more based on effectiveness and um, resilience and helping the whole supply chain to be better rather than trying to maximise the efficiency of each individual part, which ironically leads to the whole being less efficient and less effective because there's no spare capacity, there's no sort of redundancy and other kinds of things like this. So I, I'm hearing like that, the, that traceability and the role of Cotton Connect in creating trust and relationships across that supply chain can then lead to, as you say, a mindset shift and a move away from um, commercial considerations drowning out everything else to a wider set of considerations actually helping the commercial considerations. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. a fair way of describing it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting if you're a spinner in India to have a conversation which isn't just about price. Mm-hmm. Um, quality because there's lots of quality discussions about cotton as you can imagine um and talk about sustainability sustainable cotton or you know and then thinking about their own processes and their factory as well is is a different shift again isn't it so you're bringing this sort of sustainability in its broadest sense really right into the supply chain and i think quite often in supply chains at the moment we're seeing agronomic interventions and we might be seeing brand interventions but that middle supply chain quite often is forgotten yeah and there's a lot of processing there's a lot of energy use water use blah 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 so yeah so really powerful a really powerful dialogue and i just want to check so carrefour is a supermarket in france in france based in france, based in france global. Um, global footprint yeah and keering is again i think a french headquartered company but as a house of brands lots of different yeah. sorry Lots of different clothing brands people have heard of, but I can't remember any of them off the top of my head. <laughs> what it's worth. There you are. That's one of those things. Um, and I think the other thing, then moving on into the next question. So you've got the the platform and uh, the relationships, and there's lots of things you're doing. Do you have any particular methods or practices that you use for innovation, for sustainability? Is there like a, a, um, a framework or a... Um, a toolbox that you turn to to say, oh, we need to innovate this. Let's let's use this method now. Yeah, so we, I mean, we have a dedicated team. It's quite a small team um, and we call it commercial development. So we have a team that looks after that and it's, a, you know, we have some dedicated investment that goes into that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've developed a methodology of 
Um, it is a gate process, so an assessment of uh, the programme, how it's relevant, the criteria for success. And then most recently, we've just, we've, um, over the past year, we've done some different pilots and the team have put together a scorecard. So we're scoring how that pilot has worked and mm. it's un against a number of criteria in, in terms of effectiveness of the pilots, relevance to, is it, is it marketable? Is it something brands want? Um, how is it relating to an environmental and social goals? So then that um, innovation is scored. So I've just been through all the scorings um, mm -hmm. yesterday with the team actually on our pilots. So we can decide which do we take forward yeah. and continue to invest in and which do we think perhaps, okay, we've tried it, it didn't work. Um, we're going to move forward, move on from that. And I think part of that, the philosophy that we've talked about is that some things won't work. Yeah. And if you are innovating well, there's a moment that you kind of have to accept that the wheels fell off. So we were just looking at a warehousing model in cotton for organic to see whether that would unlock the organic market. So we would, the cotton would be produced by the farmers. We would then warehouse the organic cotton before it then goes further into the supply chain. It, we did the team spent a lot of time on it and in yeah. the end it wasn't going to unlock that's it wasn't going to be a solution but for me the fact that we explored it and have discounted it is really important because every, organic has lots of challenges organic cotton at the moment so the fact we can discount one of the options as a solution is quite important for us yeah so yeah so there's a hard there's idea generation from the team, which is really mm. important. So I don't sit in London and, and come up with innovation. It's It comes out of the teams across the geographies where we work, and I think that's really important. Um, and then we obviously do quite – we use some of the more traditional methods to look at what's going on. So we just did the pestle review across all markets um, to look at future trends, I'm sure. Mm all your students um, use that. So you, we use some of the, you know, other tools as well in terms of that you'd be expecting to see in terms of how sure. we're and, really uh, just refining our process. Yes, and I, I, I'm i not sure that everyone will know, but PESEL is, let's see if I can remember it, political, so you're looking for trends and the trends fall under these different yep. categories and PESEL is a way of remembering them. So political, economic, social, technology, legal and environmental Spelling out yes. PESL. Uh, there we are. Uh, and yeah. it's great to hear all of that. And it's worth remembering. So out of just to, you say you've got 100 people in Cotton Connect. I mean, roughly speaking, where are they located? Just to give us a sense of where those ideas are coming yeah. from. Yeah, so 70% of our team is in India. Yeah. Um, so, which is our biggest market. We still have a small team in, team in China. Um We've got a team of about 10 in Bangladesh. This isn't going to add up soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> rough numbers, rough numbers. Bangladesh, uh, we made, uh, Bangladesh is another story, actually, about how we've really stimulated cotton growing in Bangladesh yeah. as a, uh, another cash crop um, there. And then small teams in Pakistan, a very, very small team in Egypt, and uh, we're in our second year in Turkey. So really, that's our, Wonderful. our sort of how our team is spread, but only four of us in the UK, so yeah. which is really deliberate um, and quite unusual. If you look at INGOs, so international NGOs, 
yeah. they tend to have quite good head offices here in the UK. So. Yes, and, and it. I mean, what you're doing there speaks to a, trying to approach this through. Um, uh, what's the right way of putting it? Uh, I mean, part of what's going on here is it's disproportionately Western consumers buying these fashion products, these garments, uh, and so uh, there's the power is and the money is in one area, um, richer economies, and the work um, and the potential for injustice and the potential for environmental impact is in the global south, is in the majority world. So, I think it's, as you say, I think it's important that Cost and Connect and anyone who's working to make a difference tries to reflect those people who's trying to make a difference for uh, rather than imposing from, from these richer countries. And the other thing I just wanted to pick up from your when you were talking about the innovation management was how you thought of this as an investment and the stage gates and having the discipline to say no to things that even when you you really want it to succeed and even though you've got a lot of sunk cost that's gone into it, you can still go, actually, this isn't working. It's great that we've done this to find this out and we've got lessons which apply elsewhere. But um, we should think of it as a success to find out that it's not going to work rather than to think of it as a failure. I think it's a very important little insight for us all. Yeah, yeah definitely. And also it's about the mindset with the team. So Guy Dower in our team in India who did all the work on the warehousing, I said to him, you know, it had it, we should celebrate the fact that you've done all the work and we mm. decided not to progress it. That is success for me. Mm. And I think quite often in business, we kind of, we, we don't really, we don't really understand, we don't, we only celebrate sort of things that work, don't we? Rather than saying, okay, we've learned something here. And I, yeah. I do think it's <clears throat> switching around that mindset a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Last few questions. What are the biggest challenges you face and how do you overcome them? I think it is about people and wherever you turn, it's about taking people on that journey with you. And I talked right at the beginning that we worked with um, female farmers in India in our, our programme. Mm. That was such a big shift because even in my farm team, there was this, why are we training the women? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think for me, it's about how you take people on that journey and people are individuals. So, mm. you know, it's it's each ginner, it's each spinner, it's the individuals in the brands that have the vision for the future and how do you give them the tools and the messages to, to invest further and take that further into their organisation. So I think it's about inspiring people to change. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hearing a lot of challenges of resistance and the ways of overcoming them, yeah. partly your own determination, but also the attention to... Individuals and relationships there sounds the the theme I hear. If there was one thing policymakers could do which would make your work significantly easier, what would that be? Mm, Yeah, good question. I'm not very fond of policy and regulation, (laughs) actually, as a tool. But I think there are two things for me. One is at the moment we talked about all the various claims legislation going on. It's really fragmented. Right. So each... Each um, member state in the EU seems to have its own framework. The EU will have its own framework. The UK has got its own framework. The US has got its own framework. It's really, I think it's really tricky because there's just so much similar legislation, but not the same. So, you know, that harmonisation would be amazing, but probably impossible. Yeah. And I think for me, the other thing is that 
you know, we look at climate change and we talk about climate change, but I think that as policymakers, we need to see it through the lens of smallholder farmers, as they are really at the, the, the they're really being affected mm. by climate change. So we're seeing already the effects in, in cotton production of climate change. So increased pest attacks, um, women having to work harder and longer, longer hours, water, going mm. further for water, yeah. their cows not being as productive, et cetera, et cetera. So I think for, for policymakers, it's that kind of understanding of, you know, not just sort of the big impacts of climate change and, you know, on all the great platforms, but also thinking through from a, the, the fragility of, of some of some of the people in the supply chain. Absolutely. And I think as we speak, um, there is a 40-degree heatwave going on through rural India, so which we can expect to become more and more common and will make growing and all kinds of things all the more difficult. Um, last question is about the future. So what are, your, what are Cotton Connect's priorities on innovation going forward and why? Yes, I think you've heard a thread through my personal journey at Cotton Connect about women. And I think mm. we are looking at how we measure and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, how our work does that. But we also, we're just putting uh, putting the work in for our next three-year strategy mm-hmm. and women will be part of that. And they, they looking at the gen, looking at this through a gender lens because, you know, we, we saw actually that, issues around gender had dropped out of of the priorities for brands so we do an annual customer survey hmm. and so social issues and gender um have been further up and now they have dropped back i think it's coming back so for me there is a piece about how do we keep empowering women what's their roles in this changing scenario as weather patterns change how how do we yeah. build their confidence, build their entrepreneurial skills? Um, so I think that it's part of my personal passion, I think. But obviously, climate, climate, climate at the moment, I think, for the sector. Yes, wonderful. Well, And I think um, that joins together another part of the threads that I hear here and from my own tiny experience of fashion supply chains, which is, and supply chains more generally, um, that those who are in have the least amount of power are given the highest amount of risk. The risk sort of accumulates to them. And that's, in this instance, as is so often, are the women who are working in that supply chain. Um, and the biggest risk is often to do with climate change, in not just mitigation, but adaptation. How are we going to cope with what is now baked in? And so I think it's really... And this also shows the way in which what traditionally have been thought of as separate issues, environmental and social, actually mm-hmm. deeply, deeply intertwined. Together. Um, you know, we've got some, it's only really just started. Um, we've got some climate change ambassadors at, mm-hmm. a, um, at a village level. So the idea is that the, the women, rather than being seen as victims of climate change, which obviously they really are facing the impacts, are actually part of the solution. And we're giving them the tools and the knowledge to, to influence locally. And I hope that they'll also become a group that feedback to us. So I've asked to have our first focus group with them so we can hear from them about what, what they want to tell us about what's happening um, in their communities. That's wonderful. And it's a wonderful positive to note, note um, making people into agents of change in the face of such difficult uh, situations um, and 
uh, which is a great note for us to close on. So thank you very much to Alison. My uh, pleasure. You've been listening to the Chief Executive of Connect, Alison Ward, as we've been talking about innovation, business and sustainability. Um, thank you very much for listening and we'll be along soon with the next episode.